title of today's message is The Corrupt Human Race. And this is an important topic. Because if we ask the question, why don't those who are on the road of the righteous fit in with those who are on the road of the wicked? Why do believers, why do Christians not fit in with the world? And it's a good question. And we can see this question asked throughout God's Word. And we can see this question answered here in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 and in Romans 3. And when we look at Psalm 53, it can look like Psalm 14. It looks like it's just been reprinted if you've ever looked at Psalm 53. But there are some little differences, but pretty much it's the same answer to the question of why believers don't fit into this world. And then we have the New Testament. We have Paul. Paul even quotes from Psalm 14. In Romans chapter 3. So what we really have here in Psalm 14 is really basic biblical theology. It's biblical theology 101. Why don't believers fit in with the world? Well, this is what David will look at here in Psalm 14. So in Psalm 14, David's going to examine, he's going to He's going to analyze the corruption of the human race. And what we see here is just how far those who are on the road of the wicked are willing to go. Because we, as we see the years speed by, and what we find is that those on the road of the wicked, well, they care less and less about God and more and more about themselves. And then we get even more people who claim that they don't even believe in God. And so we're seeing those on the, on the road of the wicked, they're trying to live, they're trying to exist in a world where they don't believe in God. They've decided that it's foolish to believe in God Almighty, and instead, they've chosen to believe that everything we see just happened. <laughs> that everything just popped into existence. There was a, there was a famous atheist named, named Christopher Hitchens, who by the way has passed on and now he's in eternity, and realizes how foolish he really was. But Hitchens once stated that he, didn't just, he just didn't believe that there is no God, but he was against the very thought of God. That he said he would do everything in his power to bring down the very thought of God. And he stated that all religions hold the same untruths. And he believed that the effect of religion and churches was really harmful to people. And he stated that belief in God was without any intellectual integrity. And again, he's, he's passed on. And if he could be here today, I'm sure that he would do a 180 because he knows better now. But the estimates are that there are some 500 million people in the world who claim to be atheists. And some 30 million right here in the United States. They believe that if someone is an atheist, then it shows that they are a very highly intelligent person. And that on average, most highly intelligent people are atheists. So they believe that nothing times nobody equals everything. So we ask the question, really, that's highly intelligent? To say that nothing was needed for creation, that it was all just randomness, so that really all this means is the atheist worships nothing. And these so-called highly intelligent atheists, they they love to mock Christians. They love to mock us for our faith. So why are so many highly intelligent people claiming to be atheists? Well, this is what David is going to tackle here today. And he'll show us that, that atheism really is a symptom of a greater problem. And he'll show us that, that the problem dominates every one of us in the human race. And so in Psalm 14, David's going to show us what's really going on because whether they realize it or not, when someone is saying that they're an atheist, what they're really saying is that they know everything. And what I mean by that is to say for sure that you know without a doubt that there is no God, what you're really saying is that you know everything. Otherwise, you couldn't make that statement. So what we're really dealing with here is pride. Which isn't at all surprising because Pride is the rim where all sin spokes from. Pride is, is like the substance of our sin. And what's, we're moving into the month of June, and, and what is the June called now in America? Well, it's called Pride Month. And so if you're, if you're denying God, then you're denying the truth. And if they deny the truth, then 
They need to make up their own truth. And so for an atheist, they make up the lie that there is no God. And so they choose to worship nothing but themselves. So let's look at what David wrote as he shows us what's really going on with those who are on the road of the wicked. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to grab it. And If you're not there already, turn with me to Psalm 14. Psalm 14. What David has to say here in Psalm 14 is very important for us to understand. Remember, what's said here is almost repeated word for word in Psalm 53. And also David uses it in Romans chapter 3. And it's important for us because it's important for us to understand where sin will lead us. Because sin doesn't just sit there. No, sin pulls us along the way. Sin is really like going down a giant slide. It starts off slow, but the more we sin, the more we slide down and we begin to pick up speed. And so David will show us how someone can get to the point in their life where they could actually deny the existence of God. That's really a symptom of a larger problem. The problem, this problem dominates everyone in the human race. So Psalm 14, let's, let's read it together. Psalm 14, and God's Word says, for the choir director of David, the wicked fool says in his heart there is no God. They act corruptly. They commit abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. Yahweh looks down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who has insight, anyone who seeks after God. They all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do all workers of iniquity not know who eat up My people as they eat bread and do not call upon Yahweh? There they are in great dread. For, for God is with the righteous generation. You would put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but Yahweh is His refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when Yahweh restores His captive people. May Jacob rejoice. May Israel be glad. And there is the reading of God's Word. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank You for Your Word, your, your Holy Word. And Lord, we ask that Your Spirit will be our teacher today. That Your Spirit would guide us with truths as we look at this psalm. And Father, forgive me my shortcomings and preach a better message than I have prepared. And Lord, because of Your grace, we are so thankful that we are not one of those who would deny the truth. Father, that we know who You are and You are reigning from heaven right now. We thank You and we ask all this, Father, in Your name. Amen. Amen. So as we look at Psalm 14 today, David is going to show us the sad condition of the human race. And what David's and what Adam's sin does to all of us who are born. And then where will this, who all of us who are born in this sin, where will this lead us to? So again, what we'll see today, we'll see three results of sin and those who reject God. And the first result for those who reject God is found in verses 1-3. through 1-3. through three, And it's depravity. Depravity. The second result for those who reject God is found in verses 4-6 through six, and it's destruction. Destruction. And then the third result for those who reject God is found in verse 7, and it's deliverance. There's deliverance. And so those who say there is no God, those who reject God, today David's going to show us the depravity, the destruction, and deliverance. And so let's jump into God's true and holy Word. The first result for those who reject God, depravity, verses 1-3. through three. Look at verse 1. The wicked fool says in his heart there is no God. Notice as I'm reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, it includes the word wicked in front of fool. The wicked fool. Some of you may say that as well. But some of them just may have fool, and that's okay. But the reason the Legacy includes wicked here is it's, it's really just filling in what's behind what these fools and why they're saying that there is no God. And the reason they're saying it, that there is no God 
It's not because they don't know enough about God that they don't know enough so they can't be sure. So it's not saying that they're not intelligent people, but what it's telling us is is that they are intelligent people and that they do know that there is a God, but they're choosing not to believe in Him. So they've made an ethical or a moral choice for evil. And this is why the Legacy Bible includes wicked in front of fools here, because this is, this is, this is what the word fools means here. In the next sentence, in fact, David will show us that. And so what David is showing us here is that, is that when they say there is no God, what they're showing us is they're, they're showing us their spiritual condition. That they've made an ethical, moral choice to live as if there is no God. Even though deep down they really know there is. It's showing us the wickedness of the heart. And that's what the word, this word fool in the Hebrew means. It, it doesn't mean from a lack of intelligence. But it means a vile person, someone wicked. And so this is not a head problem, but it's a heart problem. Notice this is what David says. He says, the wicked fool says, in his what? In his heart. Their mind understands the truth that there is a God. So what they're doing then is they're rejecting the truth. They want no part of the truth. So even with all the evidence around them, and above them, and below them, and besides them, they reject it in their heart. And to the Hebrew, the heart represents the inner self. To the Hebrew, it's where the decisions, the, our words and deeds and, and our will are all found. The heart is the inner being of a person. To the Hebrew, the heart is different from the Greek. To the Greek, the heart is mainly about longings, affections, emotions. And so the atheist, this, this wicked fool who says in his heart, that's their inner being, that there is no God. And if and if we were to read this in the original Hebrew before the scribes smoothed it out so it's easier for us to read, what verse 1 says in the Hebrew is the wicked fool in his heart has said, no God. The scribes added there is so it can be read smoother. So what these, what these atheists are saying, they're saying no God. And this is why they're wicked. Because the evidence is all around them, but yet they still say no. They say no to God. They won't, they're saying, I won't believe in you, God. There is no God for us. We want nothing to do with God. But on the inside, they know there's a God. But again, they don't want to have God have any say in their life. Or they don't want God to have, tell them anyway how they're to live. And they're going to go their own way. They're, they're going to be the captain of their own ship. They're going to be the master of their own destiny. So even with all this evidence that's everywhere, that there is a God, they'll close their heart and say, no, God. And really, when we think about it, this no to God, it has many parts to it. Because we can, we can know someone who knows that in their heart that there is a God, that there is a true God, but says no. And then we have somebody who says, no, there is a God, but I'm not going to believe in the God of the Bible. And so they make up one. They make up a God so they can worship. In fact, they make up a God that they can control, that they can, that they can understand better. Why do they do that? Well, they, they still want to live the way they want, but they still want to have a God in their life because they know there is a God. So we have many made-up false gods all over the place today. Why do they choose to live like this again? Well, with so much evidence around them, can everyone on the road of the wicked, they, can they still deny the same God of the Bible? Either they say no to God or they'll just make up one of their own and worship that one instead. And one of the best explanations of why people do this was written down by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1. And you can put your finger here in Psalm 14 and flip over to Romans 1 with me or you can just listen. But in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, Paul tells us why those on the road of the wicked make up a, pers- they make a personal decision not to believe in Yahweh or just make up a God. And just like David will here in Psalm 14, Paul's going to show us in Romans chapter 1 and verses 18 on, he's going to show us, he's going to show us the sinfulness of man and what it does, how it corrupts. So Paul says, starting in verse 18 of Romans 1, 
He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who do what? Suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Why? Because that which is known about God is evident within them. Which literally means in them, in their heart, in their mind, and in their conscience. So so how do they know all this? Well, Paul goes on. For God made it evident to them. So we have something called general revelation and special revelation. And every human being on the planet has general revelation. And that means that every human knows the existence of God. The being of God. The person of God. There there is a Creator. But general revelation isn't enough to know God personally. Why? Because that takes special revelation. Which comes to us through the Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And not everyone receives this special revelation. And without the Gospel and this special revelation, we cannot be saved and we cannot know this God on a personal special level. But general revelation is enough to know that there is a God which is enough to condemn us. Why? Because we're still accountable to God. Because we know He exists. So really, there is no such thing as an atheist because God has made it so clear to every human being on the planet that He exists. How? Well, how did God do this? Well, Paul goes on here in verse 20. He says, for since the creation of the world, so since the very beginning of time, what? His invisible attributes, both His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. It's obvious. How? How has it been clearly seen? Being understood that through what has been made. Paul says that. So this means that that every cause must have every every effect must have a cause. And we, when we look at our, our planet, we see a universe, a universe that's so big we can't even measure it. And we can see life on this planet. There's so much life that we're still finding new species. And so there's no doubt there must be a creator. Because something can't come from nothing. Only nothing can come from nothing. So before creation, there had to be a creator. There had to be God. Even if we look inward, microscopically, if we we look with a microscope, we can see the amazingness of creation in the tiniest little details. There's order and there's beauty. Or if we look macroly, if we look outward with a telescope and we see the amazingness of creation, the size and vastness of the universe, again, the order and the beauty of everything. There's such genius in the design of creation. It's so obvious. Just thinking about a human body alone, how amazing is that? I mean, if we just look at one part of our human body, like the human brain, think about this. We have in our heads something more powerful than the most powerful supercomputer in the world, and it's made out of meat. There's no way that just evolved. There is a God in heaven who made everything. And because of this, Paul says, so they are without excuse. All creation is like an outstretched finger just pointing to God. And Paul finishes up in verses 21 and 22. He says, for even though they knew God, so they knew God, they knew He was the creator of everything, they saw Paul says they did not glorify Him as God or give thanks. So they didn't recognize Him as supremely worthy of honor to acknowledge all of His attributes, His divine attributes. And So because of this, Paul says, they became futile in their thoughts. So refusing to give glory and thanks to God, God begins to take away His truth that guides their minds, which means that those on the road of the wicked are doomed. Because... Now for them to find wisdom, they have to use their own worthless or useless human thoughts. So all they can do is muster up human speculations and theories and call that wisdom. Which only leads to untruths and fairy tales, greater unbelief, greater wickedness. And there's this moving down, this slide, right? Down in sin. And then Paul goes on in Romans 1. He says, on their foolish heart. Notice Paul uses the word foolish here. 
and their foolish heart was darkened. Which means without insight or understanding. It's foolishness. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And the word fools here means moron. And so the point Paul is showing us is once someone rejects the truth of God in Christ, they will fall for anything foolish. Anything. And we can really see this in our world today around us, can't we? The absolute foolish things that people are believing, that people are demanding, that people are defending. And Paul lays it all out for us in Romans chapter 1. If we want to understand the world we're living in, Romans chapter 1 explains it. So as we go back to Psalm 14 and David. David's saying much the same thing back here in Psalm 14. And Paul and David, they both have the same thoughts, which is good because it's the same Holy Spirit that's guiding both of them. And the reason we don't fit into this world is because men who love sin want to throw off the reign of their Creator God. And so they have to make up this worldview that says there is no God. They're saying no to God. They do not want God in their life. And they say this. They, they say they can live the way they want. They want the desires of their sinful heart. And they want their sin. And so because of this, David here says in Psalm 14, in the middle of verse 1, he says that because of their wickedness, this is the result. <laughs> They, that's these fools who say no to God, they act corruptly. And this word here, corruptly, is a Hebrew word that's used for, for milk when it goes sour. Have you ever smelled sour milk? It's horrible. This word corrupt means wasted, rotten, or ruined. And so what this is saying is their character is rotten inside. Their, their core is rotten. And really, this is everyone that's on the road of the wicked. And this was all of us as well. We had this rotten core before we heard the good news, before we heard the Gospel, and were called off the road of the wicked. So this is everyone outside of Jesus Christ. We're all born into this corruption. And this corruption corrupts us. And then these wicked fools act corruptly. And what else do the wicked fools do? It says they commit abominable deeds. So this rotten character produces rotten fruit. This word abominable means despicable or disgusting deeds and actions. And then David ends verse 1 with a shocking statement. There is no one who does good. This is a big statement. Because some will argue that this just isn't true because they see people who aren't saved, ungodly people, going around and, and doing good things for people all the time. They've seen people who do not know God building houses for the poor. They've seen people who do not know God giving money to the poor. They've seen people who do not know God feeding the poor. And so yes, we see good stuff happening all around us, but if we take a closer look at this good stuff going on, this is, what David, this is why David says this. There is no one who does good. So what does David really mean here? What's he trying to say? Or what is he saying? No one can do good outside of God. Even though it looks good to us, it isn't to God. Why? Because someone who denies God, if they build a house for the poor or give money to the poor, but do not recognize God, it cannot be good. Because even if they're honest in what they're doing with everyone, they're still not honest with God. Even if they don't rob anyone, they're still robbing from God. How? Because even if they're... Even if if they're thankful and loyal to everyone around them, they're not thankful or loyal to God. Really, they're focusing on themselves. It's an inward focus. It's an, it's an inward focus and an outward focus on what they can do and how it made someone feel or how it made them feel. But there was no upward look. No thanks to God. No thanks for the air that they breathed. Or no thanks for each beat of their heart that made the good possible. And so to God, how can this be called good? Someone can even have a great relationship with everyone. They can be loved by everyone, but not by God. And so everything they do is then tainted by sin and corrupted. This is why that no one can do good outside of God. Because anything we do apart from God cannot be good because God is the source of everything good. 
from a human perspective to us, it does look good, but not from God's perspective. Because God sees into the heart. He knows what's going on in the inner parts. Remember, David is showing us the root cause of the fool saying in his heart that there is no God. David's showing us the main problem of humankind, and that's Adam's sin has separated us from God. And so humankind is incapable of doing anything that God would consider good. Because everything we do is in the context of a life that is in rebellion against Him. This is another reason why we can't save ourselves. Even if we live to a million, there's not enough good works we could ever do to make up for the corruption in our hearts. And then even after we become believers, the only reason we can do good works is because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus said in John chapter 25, apart from Me, you can do nothing. So yes, even atheists can do what we would consider to be good works, but when they're measured from the standard of divine perfection, none of them can measure up. This is why David can say this at the end of verse 1. There is no one who does good. And all these fools who say in their heart there is no God, that, that what they're saying, they're saying no to God in the sight of God, they can do no good. And so if you think that this is only how David sees things, now in verse 2, David is going to bring God into the picture. What does Yahweh God think about these fools? So here, David, with the help of the Holy Spirit, is going to show us how God feels about all this. Look at verse 2. He writes, Yahweh looks down from heaven upon the sons of men. So God looks down from heaven at the human race, and what's He looking for? Well, it says to see if there is anyone who has insight. So the human, so the human race who's saying no to God... Those who are saying God doesn't even exist, this, this Yahweh who they deny looks down on them even though they wish that He would just go away, but He doesn't. And He's, he's all-knowing. He's all-seeing. He's all-powerful. And he's looking. he's looking to see if there is anyone who has insight or understanding. Again, they have the understanding that there is a God because of this general revelation. They, they know there's a Creator. They know there's a God. The human race knows there's a God. So, if they know there's a God, what should they be doing? Well, if the human race knows that there's an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing God, what should all mankind be doing? Wouldn't you want to know who this God is? Wouldn't you want to know why He created everything? Created you? What's our purpose? So what does the last part of verse 2 say? Why is Yahweh looking down from heaven? He's again, he's looking to see if there's anyone who seeks after God. So what does God find? Is there anyone who's seeking after Him? Verse 3, they have all turned aside. But no one is seeking Him. They've all turned away from Him. They either live like He doesn't exist or they make up a false god or an idol to seek after instead of seeking after the one true God of the Bible. So how does God feel about about humanity doing this? Well, it says altogether they have become worthless. Altogether means mankind is all in a union. (laughs) They're all alike in this truth. They have become worthless. Here's the sour milk reference again. They're worthless. They're morally corrupt. They're tainted. Tainted with what again? Sin. Which means people always prefer lies and wickedness to truth and righteousness. Remember the New Testament, in the New Testament, Paul was telling us the same thing as David said here. Paul said in Romans 1. He says, because of the corruption of Adam's sin and our sin, mankind is tainted like milk that's gone bad, like sour milk. And because of this rottenness, mankind lives for wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. He goes on, slanders, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. He goes on more without understanding, trustworthy, unloving, merciful. Paul lays it out. And so it's just like that giant slide. When we reject God and His light of truth, 
we begin a downward slide and this slide will pick up speed and we become fools. And here in verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 14, this is, this is David giving us God's perspective on what he thinks about those who are on the road of the wicked. So we have Yahweh God looking down from heaven. He's looking at the human race. And we can see His disapproval. What David wants us to realize here is that sin, sin is the main cause of our, of our sin. Of our, of, of our downward slide. It's all sin. And that atheist, atheist, atheist spirit of verse 1 it's really the symptom of that greater problem. It's, a, it's what plagues the human race. is sin. The giant slide of sin. It's going down faster and faster. And so, God is examining the entire human race. He looks down to see the actions and the attitudes of mankind. And so, what is God's verdict? Well, the end of verse 3. There is no one who does good, not even one. So notice that David, who is speaking for God, verifies what he said in verse 1. It's the same thing David said, but he adds three more words here. There was no one who does good. Not even one are added for emphasis. Again, all this is showing that there's something much deeper going on. There's something deeper going on than the atheism in verse 1. So it's deeper. Deeper than man's, man's mind is twisted. It means that his will is also twisted. And God says that mankind... Mankind's good works are done for man's own glory, not for his glory. And the difference again is that good works done by a believer are for God's glory. And so David says, there is no one who does good, not even one. He says it again, he repeats it. And so because humanity has, has turned aside and they're sliding down this, this, this slide or this road of the wicked away from God and they're sliding straight to hell. And notice it says all. All have turned aside. And so this means collectively and individually, they have all turned from God. And have become like sour milk. And that's how the human race looks to Yahweh God. Because it, it all revolves around the fact that, that, that all humanity knows that there is a God, but because of sin, sin has corrupted the heart. And so humankind doesn't seek after the one true God. And so then they pretend He doesn't exist and they make up their own false gods. They make up, again, gods that are controllable. They make up gods where they can work their way to heaven. They can do enough good works where they believe the scales will fall on their side. Again, they make up small gods that are understandable. God becomes small. People become big. They make up gods that always want them healthy, wealthy, and happy. And this is what, this is what some do. Even though, they, even though they say, oh, I'm not an atheist, <laughs> I do believe in God. But really, they're living like there is not one. And it's all about who we are living for. Self or Yahweh God. And so nobody seeks after the one true God. But He seeks after us. And the reason He does is because of the condition of the human race. The condition of those who reject God. David showing us why the human race is, is sliding down this giant slide of sin. It's Again, because of sin. The human race is corrupted and they have rejected God. So this is what David wants us to see. So this first result for those who reject God was depravity. The human race is corrupt and wicked like milk when it goes sour. And now the second result for those who reject God is destruction. Destruction. Verses 4-6. through six. So there is coming a day when everyone will be faced with the reality of God. There is coming a day when the full reality of God will be in full view of the fools who stand before a holy, almighty God on Judgment Day. And they'll not be able to deny Him anymore. And so these fools should know that, that they won't get away with this. That not only do they hate God, but now they also hate those who love God. And God loves. We have this battle going on between those who are on the road of the wicked and those who are on the road of the righteous. So look at verse 4. It says, Do all the workers of iniquity not know? 
So Yahweh God is saying, don't these corrupt sinners know that I see everything, that I know everything? Don't they know that one day they will stand before me and give an account of what they've done? And what they've done is they've tried to push God out of their lives, out of their minds. They're trying to fill Him with everything and anything they can do to distract them from the truth. And Yahweh goes on, verse 4, who eat up My people as they eat bread. And so the people that, that hate God, again, they hate the truth of God. They hate the work of God. So it makes total, total sense that they also hate the people of God. So they want to remove the people of God from their sphere of life. And so the people of God are like bread to these wicked who would love to just grind them up with their teeth. They want to rid the world of God's people. And there's a deep-seated hatred that's anchored in their heart toward a holy God. And so they reject His Word. And then, and then this hatred leads to rejecting God's people as well. But now the last part of verse 4, because of, because of the main issue going on in, in the sinner's heart, these fools are so wrapped up in their sin. They love their sin that they, they don't even stop to think about what will happen to them. So David says, and do not call upon Yahweh. So they won't even humble themselves before God. No, they're actually defiant. They're stubborn. Because the call to Yahweh is to call out in prayer. And there's no way they're doing that. But they should. Why? Verse 5. They, there they are in great dread. There means the road they're on. And so because they're, they're, they're on the road of the wicked, they, they should be in great dread. Or great fear. This word dread means that you're so afraid that you just tremble. And so they put it off as long as they can. But remember, the road of the wicked ends up where? What's the final stop? Well, it's judgment. Eternal punishment. And so what this is saying is, how can you fools live like God doesn't exist and make up false gods? How can you fools hate God and then hate God's people to the point of wanting to rid the world of them so that you can just live the way you want? Yahweh says, don't you understand that when you go after them, you're going after Me. And I will judge you for that. That how can you do this so casually like you're just eating a slice of bread? How can you do this when, you, when you're heading for a terrifying, you're living, you're living through all eternity, never-ending punishment. You're heading for that. I mean, talk about terrifying. Just to think about it. Standing in front of a holy God, having to give an account for everything we've done. That should terrify them. They should be in dread. Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said this about this kind of dread. He said, quote, A panic, terror seized them, or as the Hebrew puts it, they feared a fear. An unidentifiable horror mysterious dread crept over them that even the most hardened of men have their periods when conscience casts them into a cold sweat of alarm. Unquote. So no matter how hard they try to deny it, it may happen in the middle of the night or some, some drastic thing may come upon someone, but there's always going to be this this overflowing thought of, what if there is a God? What if I have to give an account? It doesn't go good for me. So these fools, they live under this cloud of knowing that, that really they are in a battle against God and, and they will not win. That there is coming a day of dread for them. Another reason for them to be in great dread is in the last part of verse 5. It says, for or because... God is with the righteous generation. So God is with those on the road of the righteous. All those He's called and have come by faith. So when they go after God's people, they're in dread because God is with the righteous. God's not with them. And that's terrifying because God's against them. And then in verse 6, notice 
David speaks directly to the fools. Verse 6, he says, you. This is the fool who in his heart has said there is no God. You would put to shame the counsel. So they would, they would put to shame. Shame means to confound or to express anger over. Over what? It's the counsel. And the counsel is the truth about God. So they hate hearing about God. They hate hearing about the accountability to God. And what they hate is the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so really they live to put to shame and, and confound not just the messenger, but the message of God Himself. He said you would put to shame the counsel of the afflicted. The afflicted are the humble, the poor. Those, those, are, those are God's people. And so that's all believers. So David, who's being guided by the Holy Spirit, is saying, he's saying, you fools who deny the truth about God and then deny God, even though you think you sit above them, you look down on the righteous people, you think they're smarter than they are, and so when you ridicule them and you make fun of them, and you're thinking that, again, you're so much more intelligent that you're superior to them, and you attack them, you, fool, you fools need to remember the last part of verse 6. It says, but Yahweh is His refuge. And so for all of us in Jesus Christ who, who long to live godly lives, even though we'll suffer, God is our refuge. He's our shelter, our hope, and our trust. And so the fools, to the fools, all the anger and the hostility toward the people of God, we have to remember that they're doomed. They're doomed to failure because the Lord, the promise-keeping covenant Yahweh God, is our refuge. And notice David used that. Yahweh, promise-keeping covenant God here. You can't separate the people of God from God who protects them. So if you attack His people, it's an attack on God Himself. And it's going to backfire. And it won't end, it won't end well. David's saying, can't you see that? I thought you guys were supposed to be so intellectually superior. You're so intelligent. You're far above everyone. Can't you think this through logically? Can't you see what you're doing? No one can take God down. He is our refuge. Our Lord Jesus said it best when He said in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24-27, through 27, here's what Jesus said. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows, follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes and the torn and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it will not collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it, it is foolish. There's that word again, foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rain and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And so as the world rejects the true God of the Bible, they reject Him more and more as the hatred against God increases more and more. The Lord is our refuge. David wants us to understand why the human race is in such a bad way. It's because of sin. The human race has rejected God. And so the first result for those who reject God was depravity. Mankind is corrupt and wicked. We're rotten to the core. So our actions are evil. No one does good. The second result for those who reject God was destruction. God's judgment is coming on the wicked and so their persecution of God's people will come to an end someday. And when it does, their arrogance is going to end. And because of their sin, God will deal with them. And now the third result is deliverance. The fools who say there is no God, who hate God and hate His people, we now see the hope of the righteous. God will deliver His people. Verse 7, Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. David's saying, please Yahweh, can't you please hurry and take care of this now? David's saying, Lord, I know that You're our refuge and I know that these fools won't win. But can't you please do it now? Lord, can't Messiah come out of Jerusalem now and make things right? All of Israel knows a deliverer is coming, one greater than Moses. That Messiah is coming to rule in Jerusalem. And that's really interesting 
What's really interesting about this when you read this is that the name of Jesus in Hebrew means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. And so when David says that, salvation come out of Zion, it's interesting. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, in Acts 4.12 it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So in every way, our Lord Jesus lives up to His name. Yahweh saves. Yahweh God is going to save His people. And when David says next in verse 7 is, when Yahweh restores His captive people, this is what our Lord Jesus did when He came the first time. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set them free, to deliver them from their spiritual bondage. He did this in the first coming. He has redeemed His people from all their sins. But in the second coming, when our Lord Jesus comes back and He sets up His earthly kingdom in Jerusalem, He will rule and reign on David's throne for a thousand years. Messiah will deliver and fulfill to, the, to Israel all the promises that Yahweh God has made to them. It says when Yahweh restores. The word in Hebrew mean, in restore means in Hebrew to turn back, to go back. So Messiah is going to turn back, make all things right. And since Israel became a nation, they had moments where they had great freedom, moments of great prosperity, but it only lasted for a season. And so Israel has suffered oppression from wicked people who deny the living God. But Yahweh God will send Messiah and He will be their refuge and their fortress and He will restore everything. And David's longing for this. He wants it to happen now. For David, he's looking at a future day when Messiah will come out of Zion and make all things right. And for us, we can look back. We can look back and we can know that our Messiah, our Lord Jesus, came already the first time. Yahweh God has sent His only Son to come so we can be restored. So we can also have a fortress and a refuge. We have the rock, the fortress of the Gospel. And so Yahweh God, by His sovereign grace, has opened our hearts to the Gospel. And now we're also God's people. And so we will also be hated by this world. But our refuge is David's refuge. And David closes out this wonderful psalm with this. So when Messiah comes back to save Israel, when He restores His captive people, He says, may Jacob rejoice, may Israel be glad. Israel will rejoice and be glad. And so the people of God in the Old Testament will rejoice when their Deliverer, when their Messiah comes, just like the New Testament people of God, that's all Christians, can rejoice when Jesus Christ will come again. And the righteousness will be established on the earth. What David's longing for is this conflict between God and these fools who said there is no God to come to an end. There's coming a day when it will end on earth. Because there's coming a day when all those on the road of the wicked, all those who deny God and His Son Jesus Christ will face judgment. And so God's people are placed on the road of the righteous and as long as we live in this world, we're going to be hated. Remember Psalm 1 and verse 6. Psalm 1.6 says, For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Yahweh God knows everything, and so He knows what's in everyone's heart. And we can trust Him. He's our refuge. In Psalm 14, David wanted to show us why the human race is in such a bad way. And it's because of sin. Adam's sin and our sin. And because of this, the human race has rejected God, which results in three things. Depravity, destruction, and then deliverance. And so as we conclude, as we wrap this up, the reality is we're all born under the road of the wicked. We're all born with the knowledge that there is a God who created everything, but this sin corrupts the heart and it corrupts it completely. And so it makes us rotten and we, again, it becomes like this giant slide. Starts out slow at the top, but it picks up speed. And our wickedness begins to increase. And as this happens, God takes away His truth and makes us fools. Fools to the point where we can't, 
where we can even deny that there is no God. And we try to live like He isn't there. But God. But God. Those, those two beautiful words from Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even though we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But for God and His grace, our eyes are open, we see the truth, and He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And we know that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what David's longing for. Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. And on the cross, Jesus Christ was lifted up for sinners. And He died in the place of all those who call on His name. And through the shedding of His blood, He made us, he made, he made us a way. A way for our sins to be taken away. For atonement of our sins. And when we repent, Yahweh God takes us off the way of the wicked. And He places us on the way of the righteous. But until He comes again, there will be tension in the world between those, between those two ways, those two roads. The way of the wicked wants nothing to do with Yahweh God and Jesus Christ. But we know that this is only temporary because those who oppose God, the God of the Bible, their way leads to destruction. They will perish. But salvation is found for anyone who cries out to our Lord Jesus. And the Lord knows the way of the righteous, and He is our refuge, and He is our fortress. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how amazing is it that You are our refuge, and that You love us, and that You care for us so much that You sent Your own Son to take our sin so we can be restored with You and because of that, You clothe us in His righteousness and then You place us on the road of the righteous. And Father, You know the way of the righteous. And we can now live with the hope and joy that we will be with You for all eternity. And that You are our refuge. And Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.